Let me give it up for the man of God, Pastor Troy. You know, a lot of people say that, but I mean that. Some of my heroes are in this room right now. I've been to almost 15 Mardi Gras serving God over 20 years. That's why I talk like a WWF wrestler to a Slim Jim street preacher. I used to go to Bourbon Street when I lived here every Friday and Saturday night. And I just want to tell you, my heroes are in this place. Pastor Sam, Pastor Alex, Holly, as we've heard from her, Pastor Troy, his wife. If I haven't met you yet, I just want to tell you today that I'm happy you are here and we're working together for Jesus. Amen. So can we just give it up for the Lord bringing us together? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's an honor to serve you, my God. We give you our lives. It's all about you and your presence in Jesus' name. Would you open up your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5? My testimony is I was raised in church. I backslid, I dropped out of high school, did drugs, and I got saved at my mother's kitchen table at 18 years old. That same night at the couch, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. I was called into ministry nine months later. I was uh, here in this uh, campus for the New Orleans School of Urban Missions. That's what it was called. Got an associate degree, started my first church here by God's grace at the age of 22, and then went to Chicago a few years later, started a second church that we've been pastoring for 12 years. The notes for today's sermon is on the live feed that Pastor Troy put up. I have about three hours worth of materials I want to go through because what I want to do is I want to bring part, pep rally, let's get pumped to go to the streets, but also a breakout session so that you can get something that you can take back to your church, okay? So I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You may feel a gear, gear shift at about a half hour point, but stick with me for this first half hour. It is going to be worth it for you. Before we read this passage, I want to ask you a question. Have you felt left out by the church at large? Uh, do you feel like you are a square peg trying to fit into a round hole? You are not alone. I want you to listen to me. I've been in this for 20 years, not a lot compared to others, but I've been in it long enough to know I didn't leave the church. The organized church left me. I remember being a part of denominations, all of them, Vineyard, Assembly of God. You would go there. Signs and wonders would be in the services. People would speak in tongues. There would be words that would be given. People would go out and do ministry. This was normal in the churches I was brought up in. I remember taking a bus to the inner city to drop off food. But it began to change over time. I think it started, I'm going to name some names. Is that okay? Okay, if that's not okay, just take it up with Pastor Troy. Around that time, Willow Creek and Bill Hybels, and they started teaching people, Rick Warren, that this is not the way of ministry. And the Pentecostals bought into this lie. And sadly, the Pentecostals in America began to get their tail whooped by the devil. We started watching the same stats that were happening in their backslidden churches begin to happen in our churches. Divorce began to run rampant. Uh, drugs began to run rampant. We began to lose our children to homosexuality. We'd send them to the university. They would change their mind about God. And it was because we, we left what God had given us. We left what Leonard Ravenhill and David Wilkerson and people have painstakingly laid foundations for us. And so now here we are, and I don't think we should feel sorry for ourselves. I don't want us to feel sorry for ourselves. But here we are in a place that is not worthy of what we are doing. We should have the biggest building in this church dedicated to what we're doing right now. I'm talking the one with the fountain, the one where the televangelist says he needs all that money. That is where we should be holding these meetings. They need to give back those keys. Do you understand? This is kingdom work now. We don't, we don't need the big eyes and little use. Now, I'm not saying we go to Joel Osteen and take it over by force, but I want to empty his church. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm going to name the names. It's okay. I'm a little sassy right now. We, 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 need, we need not to go convert them and force them to come. I'm not saying that I don't have time to waste arguing with other Christians who don't see what we're doing here as worthwhile. But what I'm saying is it needs to be so attractive again that they just say, I'm done with the 20 minutes. I'm done with the pep talks. I have a child that needs to get delivered. Where can I go and get prayer? Are you listening? Come on. I have a son that's on drugs. Where can he get set free? I have somebody questioning their, their sexuality on my job. Where can they get prayer for? I've had dreams in the night. I don't understand them. Where is the prophet in the house of God? Okay, so here's the deal. We need to understand that we are called to start in the grassroots again. To do this, we are almost like, I want you to understand this. I have a lot of things I'm going to go through. I'm going to bring up John Wesley, William Booth of Salvation Army. I have it all online. But hear me. We are starting over again. God have mercy. They would never have dreamed about this. If they would see this now, they would they would be horrified, okay? 
But right now, we don't have an excuse. We're not going to just sit here and bring back the old-time religion. I'm not talking about playing in Oregon and we all wear three-piece suits. I'm saying the heart of what they had, we need to go back to. But this is what Paul said would happen. So think it not strange. This is not strange that we're at war in the Middle East, that Jerusalem is the center of the world's conflict right now, that everybody in the world hates us as Christians. We're still the most persecuted minority in the world. Even in places like China, they're still tearing down the buildings there. In America, we're losing our rights. This was all prophesied. It's okay. Take a deep breath. Jesus is still on the throne. Amen? So I want to give you the word. I want to give you the word, and I want you to hear it with me, and I want you to see if you connect the dots. Because if you feel like that, if you sense that in your heart, Paul's got you. The Lord you gave him a word. He's got you. Watch this. 2 Timothy 3, 5, 3, 1 through 5. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Are we in the last days? Yeah. Amen. Now listen to how he describes it. People will be lovers of themselves. This is reality TV. This is the Kardashians. This is the movement of self-love and selfie and all of this. Uh, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. This is where we see greed now being good. It's okay to boast in what you have. You probably see him as you scroll through your Facebook feed. The guy's watching his, washing his Lamborghini. He's going to tell you how to get one too. He draws you in by greed. This is what the world is right now. Lovers of money, boastful. They boast about what they have. They take a rubber ball and put it through a metal rim and then they boast over it to young people as if they accomplished something in life. Are you listening to me? None of them are my heroes. My heroes are in this room and on the mission field right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Now that's great that the Seattle guys, some of those football players love Jesus. That's awesome. Sit on the front row and get you some with everybody else. But I don't need to be validated by the guy getting $20 million to tell me it's okay to love Jesus. So we applaud the Christians who are doing it and take nothing from them in that place. But I don't need to prop them up now as a guest speaker and say, if this guy can do it, you can do it. No, we'll do it with or without you because we are here serving Jesus for his sake. Amen? So we don't need to be both more proud, but people are that, and we once were that as well, so let's not be, get beyond where we were when sinners, we've all been saved from sin, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. This is a description of our culture. Now, what is the problem? The problem is this has now come into the church. You're sitting next to people that are dealing with this right now. Now, I'm a pastor that's got the, the opportunity to start a church from scratch over the last 12 years, so it's a little bit easier to enforce church discipline, but you don't even hear that anymore in the church. Uh, church discipline. You know, say the, say the keyboarder, start sleeping with the drummer, she's up here now pregnant, nobody's sitting her down. As long as she sings like Jesus culture, keep her up there. Who cares, right? As long as the life group leader keeps bringing in people, the single adults, whatever it is, it's okay if every now and then he gets drunk on the weekends. We're all sinners after all, saved by grace, right? So this is the mentality. So the church just allowed it to come right in, and you notice that when it came in, it was because of the pastor's doing. So this was the thing. I, I I used to wonder, was it was it the people's fault or the pastor's fault? Well, you don't have to wonder very long. You go to Ezekiel chapter 33, it's the shepherd's fault. And so what the shepherd was, the shepherd was the person that maybe at one time loved God. The goal of their service was to bring people to these altars and to see the holiness and the opposite of basically all these things, to be lovers of God and not lovers of money, but lovers of generosity, humble, etc. But then what happened was they saw Willow Creek, they saw Rick Warren, they saw that there was a fast track to the cross and they just told people hey this will get you there too and it was them that fell first and then the others have fallen so where does it start it starts with us as ministers so we now have to apologize to you and relaunch this thing and be responsible for our churches and if you got a good church can I hear amen so if you got a good church pray for your pastors that they'll keep doing good without love unforgiving slanderous and that's what Facebook is for many people right without self-control I don't mean this to to be offensive but this is why we're obese now. We don't have self-control. There's always been an abundance of food in America. Farmers grew it all the time. They had pigs in their uh, their backyard. We all came from rural backgrounds. But why did we, why did we uh, at this point in our time, start eating and eating and eating and eating? Because we're trying to fill voids that God was meant to fill, right? And so we lose self-control, and that's just one of the ways right now. Uh, brutal. You'll see this as well on social media. People recording fights, teenagers doing these things. Not lovers of the good. This is a, this, this is a thing that, like I said 20 years ago, you, you couldn't have imagined 
this, even just me, that now we would we would applaud a, a Caitlyn Jenner, which she's really a Bruce Jenner, a man, right? That this this would be now called good in us telling the person, listen, us telling the person, don't uh, don't tear apart your body, surgically remove stuff, don't pump yourself with hormones, but ask God to heal your mind. It's now the hate speech, and the love is to cut your body apart and fill you with drugs. Has the world gone insane? It has. It has lost its common sense. Because they are lovers not of good. They are treacherous. They'll turn their back on you. I've seen this in the church, the denominations. You know, the times of uh, the Billy Graham movement. I'm not saying everything was perfect back then, but they could unify. Uh, these movements even here right now, like at, at Mardi Gras, used to be so much bigger. The churches could work together. They could see the common cause. Now we're just considered to them the ones that wear the dunce cap. We're the weirdies of the church. And somehow they do better doing what they do with their multimedia. 20-minute sermons, and the problem is now it's treacherous because they're fighting against each other for who can get the kids' kingdom to be the best, like the, you know, the, the Disney World, whose gym has the nicest gym, who has the nicest TV ministry, social media, etc. What we need to do is get focused back on what God has told us to do, not turn our back on each other, but people have become rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How many have seen that? That's a good mark of Paul to tell us. Now watch this right here. Verse Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. See, here's, here's how Paul summarizes this right here. They are doing all of these sinful things, but the worst thing about these kind of people is that they're claiming godliness as they're doing it. So what they're going to do is go on Oprah Winfrey's show, give her a wink and a knock, nod and a handshake so that they can sell their book, right? And so then what they're going to do in, in the trade and the prostitution of whatever gift God gave them that they have now prostituted on Oprah Winfrey, they are doing that at the cost of the power of God. And that's why now, if you're just like me and you're scrolling through your Facebook feed sometimes, you can literally see a preaching sermon from Stephen Furtick, and it sounds exactly like Will Smith. It, the, the videos are exactly the same, and this is what it is. You can make it. If you don't give up, God's on your side. He's got a plan for you. And then you just flip to the Will Smith. You can make it. Just look inside. You'll have enough strength to do it. It's the same exact thing. Somehow what we did is we took the Pentecostal preaching and turned it into a self-help message. T.D. Jakes had a lot to do with that. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I love to be told how to be encouraged from the Bible. But why is it when I go to these conferences that I have to pay $150 to attend and Jesus said it was freely given, freely received, etc. Uh, but why is it when I go there, I start Friday night as the woman at the well. You're just a woman at the well and you just need some help. And then the next day, I'm the cripple now at the pool. Now you are crippled. You see, when do I get to stop being the cripple, the woman that's sleeping around? When do I get to be like Jesus in the story? When do I get to be like the disciples? When do we change the narrative from being the one in sin, busted, and disgusted to the one that now has the power of God that can transform cities and nations. You see, I understand that that kind of preaching sells books and you can get your best life now by doing that, but the problem is, is it's a facade. It's the Oprah Winfrey, Will Smith, you can make it kind of message. The true encouragement of the Bible will not give you self-confidence. Self-confidence is a myth and a lie. Jesus said, deny yourself. What you need is confide, confide confidence in the Latin, faith in. Not in yourself, faith in God. And God will make you confident in what he has called you to do, whether it's a mother, a father, a baker, a candlestick maker. Can somebody say amen? Amen. That is the first introduction. I got three introductions, two parts of the message. Are you with me? Let's keep going. I got a lot to go. Keep going. I want you now to see the list because it went by quick. Look at the list again because I put it there for you. Go back and look at it on your own and study through it. This is the 19 things Paul said. Look at it again. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than God, have a form of godliness, denying his power, have nothing to do with them. Is that why, uh, let's just, let's just ask, answer the question now, do you think that's why you feel like a square peg in a, going into a round hole? Yeah. 
I mean, honestly, that's why I can't stomach most of TBN. I just can't. I just, I don't even relate to it. I'm not saying it can't encourage you, but I just don't even relate to it. Half the songs on K-Love, let's be broken together. I don't understand this. Is this just now country put with the gospel twist? I'm always busted and disgusted. I never know where God is. I'm searching in the darkness. Why, why, why does every song have to start off with me being somewhat schizophrenic, like a sinner, broken? When, when, when do we sing the songs, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? I have been given the power of God to trample on serpents and scorpions. You see, that's what we used to do in gospel music before the gospel singers went on America's Got Talent and sang that and then the next uh, P. Diddy song to gospel music. Gospel music was birthed out of the African-American culture singing to God for deliverance and then now it's been prostituted like anything else. We need gospel music to reflect the scriptures. And yes, there are times in the Psalms where you're going through something. I'm not saying that you're not. But if you do, you go through it with hope and faith. The Psalms remind us of that. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, I want to give you these two things. I was a part of this first part of my message, the teaching. I haven't got to the let's go out and do the thing yet. Because here's what we need to do, in my opinion. Please pray about it. But I spent a lot of time. The searching my heart as the Lord was speaking, searching the heart of God rather as he spoke to my heart about where I think we went wrong, right? So we could say a lot of things we went wrong. Okay, so the pastors became about the money and not the discipleship. Uh, we began to look for the pleasure of our flesh instead of the sacrifice of the kingdom, you know, all of these things. But one of the things that I've been noticing over the years as a trend that, that if you bring these two things up, you can be guaranteed that you will instantly reveal the state of the church. You will reveal the heart of the person you're talking to, and it will instantly put it right to the forefront. So it's like, are you about this? And then it will, it will come out. And here are the two things, godliness and the power of God. Can I hear you say godliness? godliness. And the power of God. Let me just read you these scriptures and let me talk to you about total sanctification. Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. If I asked you right now, do you believe that God called you to Christian perfection, total sanctification? If you have a problem with that, that right there now gives you the excuse to be beautifully broken your whole life, stuck somewhere in sin, and to always being beat up by the devil because you don't think that it was God's objective in the salvation on the cross to perfect you once and for all. See, that would just put the rubber right to the road. Do you believe you're supposed to be holy? Yes. Amen. And so that's when I find myself arguing with somebody. This is where it comes from. So now let me just tell you what it looks like, okay? Because we used to, like the Church of God and the Assembly of God, you know what they used to put above their tents as they would go out into the streets and, and above their buildings? They would put holiness unto the Lord. This is how they would go out and do tent revivals. They got this from the priesthood, how it was supposed to be inscribed upon them, holiness unto the Lord. You know what my friends now put above their doors? And they put right on their signs. You can see it right outside. No perfect people allowed. You see, you see the switch? Now, the, the, the way they're going to say it to you is going to be like this. Well, don't you sin, Joe. You know, don't you still make mistakes? We all make mistakes. But you see, that wasn't the message of Jesus. The, the message of Jesus in Matthew 5, 48 wasn't be jacked up because your father is jacked up. It doesn't say be partially good because your heavenly father is partially good. It doesn't say that you are to be a Jekyll and a Dr. Hyde, you know, that you are to be kind of a sinner and a saint together, some, some centaur, if anybody knows that mythological creature, half horse and half man. This is just the horse coming out. That was never the plan. That was never the plan. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Either when he said it is finished, it was finished for sanctification and holiness, or you are still on the treadmill of good works. Now, there were two views that the Pentecostals had that were in their preaching. All of them had it. Now, this is where I want you to understand. Pastor Troy, your church may have different views on this. I don't want to be controversial, but I want you to think about it. Because this is what they used to preach. It's a misnomer that all we were doing was running around in sawdust floors. If that was your version of Pentecostalism, I'm sorry, those aren't my heroes. Uh, Drake memorized most of the Bible, did a full commentary on it. Lester Summerall traveled to over 100 countries, wrote 50, 60, 70 books. Uh, these men were, a lot of them, saved from just, just backgrounds of sin or not knowing anything about God and 
studied themselves so full that we're still studying what they have. And then others of them were, were trained in seminary and all of these things. And then when they became Pentecostals, they brought that over and they wrote their doctrines. And one of the things that I love to do right now is to go back and read their teachings. And their teachings are not like what you're hearing today in 20-minute sermons in most of our Pentecostal denominations. Amen. Can I just hear an amen? They're just not the same. They're more, they're, they're, they are more in-depth explaining to you. Because how do you think the Pentecostals explained the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They had to break it down. They had to teach you. How do you think they under that they could explain to you the rapture, the second coming? They were explaining these things to each other. They weren't just coming, hearing a, a sermon that was a motivational message and that you could go out and live on change. Are, are, are you at least following me on that? Okay, because now I just want to give you the two views just very quickly. There was the two-step view and the three-step view. The two-step view is the one that I personally believe, but let me start with the three-step view. That was of John Wesley, William Booth, and, and of the Salvation Army, and William Seymour of the Azusa Street Revival. I just want to read to you. I have the notes. You can just leave it here, good sir. But you can click on John Wesley's message on Christian perfectionism. And you will hear how he begins to talk, and you can scroll through it. And I just ask you, when was the last time you saw that as a clip next to Stephen Furtick's video, right? You never hear this kind of preaching. My brother and I, we're trying to get it out. But what the Christians keep sharing, like 500,000 shares, is once again, you're dead Lazarus, and God's going to bring you out the grave and just hold on one more time, okay? But listen to John Wesley talk here. Just listen to John Wesley talk. This, this is a sermon. There is scarce any expression in Holy Writ, which is Holy Scripture, which has given more offense than this. The word perfect is what many cannot bear. The word perfect. The very sound of it is an abomination to them. And whosoever preaches perfection, as the phrase is, that is, asserts it, that it is obtainable in this life, runs great hazard of being accounted by them worse than a heathen man or a publican. So the one that actually says to you, this is what John Wesley is saying, and I think we can give it up for him, the Methodist movement methodical basically developed the Bible belt over a 200-year period to help establish towns like Chicago and universities. These men were circuit preachers, some of them preaching to 20 churches within a month, traveling around on horses. Listen, they said, the moment we mention this to our people, to their eyes, we're worse than a heathen. Why? Because they just raised the standard. They have holy clubs. We make fun of that now. Wow, this is not a holy club. Everybody's welcome. That's true. God loves you the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. They literally started holy clubs. Look up the accountability sheet of the holy clubs. There was about 20 plus questions they would ask each other every time they got together because they knew that they were to live a new life and perfection was the daily goal. That was the daily goal. So they were never going to give a foothold to the devil in any sin. If they should sin, and he didn't teach sinlessness, if you did sin as a, Mes as a Wesleyan Methodist, you would repent, and you would be forgiven. But the idea is, it's a sin. You're not supposed to do it again. You're not supposed to say, oh God, I'm so sorry for looking at pornography, but oh, BigHooters.com just looks so good right about now. Oh God, I just feel so bad. But I listened to a Stephen Furtick message, and now I, now I feel like I can make it. But oh, man, I want to do it again. But God still loves me. No, this is not the merry-go-round of sin. Stop sinning. Jesus said, stop, go, and sin no more. Why don't we ever tell that other part of John chapter 8? And this is the idea that John said in 1 John chapter 2. I write you these things that you will not sin. That's why I'm writing this to you. And he was the apostle of love. He rested his head upon Jesus' death. But if we do sin, we have an advocate, the righteous Jesus, who is our propitiation, not only for us, but for the sins of the world. And I could keep going in this, but what I want to do is just show you the other one. Because how many have heard of the Salvation Army? Okay. Now, now, just like the Methodists today, most of the Salvation Army is as backslidden as any other organization. But listen to the name. I mean, first of all, Methodists. These guys were so serious, men and women, about ministry. Salvation Army, the same exact thing. They were all about reaching the people. This was the movement that was going to change Europe, and not only Europe, but also change the North American continent. Now, I want you to hear what William Booth said. This mighty soul winner, listen to what he says about holiness as it related to his movement right here. He said, holiness to the Lord is to us a fundamental truth. 
It stands in the front rank of our doctrines. We inscribe it upon our banners. So before they were known about being Santa Claus, ringing bells to get your money at Walmart, they were going into the inner cities with tents that said, Holiness unto the Lord. It is with us in no shape or form an open, debatable question. We don't even debate it amongst ourselves. It is not open for debate in the Salvation Army as to whether God can sanctify holy or whether Jesus does save his people from their sins. In the estimation of the Salvation Army, that is settled forever. The testimony of this brother was the testimony of the Salvation Army. God delivers from sin. Not only the penalty of sin, which is what we always accent on, you're saved from hell, but the presence, the presence in your very life, the presence of sin, and the power of sin. You were delivered from the penalty, the power, and the presence. That's why Jesus said the prayer should be, not forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. So that's what he said at the first part of the Lord's Prayer. But the last is, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You pray that prayer more, you will pray the prayer of repenting less. Can I hear an amen? And so what the method is, and, and what the early preachers who were known as Salvation Armyists, the Methodists, the holiness preachers, they were known for a three-step process as they began to get the field with the Holy Ghost. So the question was, are you saved? Have you been sanctified? And have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? And so they took this from the times past with the Methodists before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so they had an idea that the Holy Spirit had to do a second work after salvation to sanctify you. The Church of God still asks you this if you want to be a minister with them. When were you sanctified? They want to know when you were saved and when you were sanctified. There was a three-step process. But as the Azusa Street in 1900s and the Pentecostal movement was growing, we began to go back back into the scriptures and understand that the second work of the Holy Spirit wasn't for sanctification. It was for empowerment to speak in tongues and to do the gifts of the ministry, which we'll get into the power in just a moment. And so just because I know there's some theological nerds here as well. Uh, I actually met one a couple of years ago. The one that teaches, if you could scroll up to the finished work, was William Durham from Chicago, believed that when you were saved, you were sanctified. Now, it's up to you how you want to believe this, but I just want to leave this with you right now. Did any of our early founders from the holiness movement, from the Salvation Army, from the Methodists, from these groups, did they ever question whether or not you were to be fully sanctified? It wasn't even a question. And that is the number one issue that I think our churches are having because remember, he said, Mark, in the last days, these things will happen. When we stop teaching on sanctification and the goal of Christianity, we made it a motivational religion, and now sin is all over the place. What you, what you neglect will grow. Come on, somebody. You neglect those weeds. Those things will take over. You neglect cancer. It will grow. So here's what I want to do to encourage you. This is where this is a breakout session type of thing. I want to encourage you to teach Christians about total sanctification of what God has for them. Can I hear an amen? amen. Let me give you a couple quick one-liners. You can tweet it, put it on Facebook. You can look at the notes. But these will help give you the heavy revies. Excuse me. Because of Adam, I was born with a naughty nature. Because of Jesus, I was born again with a divine nature. Yeah. Romans 5, 12, 2 Peter 1 through 4. On the cross, Jesus became what I was, sinful. That at the cross, I might become what he is, righteous. 1 Corinthians 5, 21. When you believe Jesus made you sinless, you will sin less. John 8, 32. Those who believe shall be free. Amen. The Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons and daughters of men might become the sons and daughters of God. Are you understanding how this revelation works? I was made holy to live holy. Being comes before doing. If I try to do holiness before being made holiness, all I have is do, do, do. Do you understand? What happens first? Do I teach my child arithmetic or are they born? It's a tough question. I'm going to ask you again. What happens first? Do I teach my child arithmetic or do they have to be born? They have to be born before I teach them arithmetic. What happens first? Does a race car drive in a race or does it get made? 
What does a sinner do first? Good works or get born again? So you get born again first, then you do good works. Right. Ephesians 2.10, we are the workmanship of God created, past tense, the moment we were born again. Workmanship of God created to do good works. We're born again in the nature of Christ to do the things that he's called us to do. Would you put up now the slide, and I just want to warn you against this, because this is what I believe, if you scroll down you'll see it, this is what I believe that happens to people when they preach the gospel half-heartedly or without the message of sanctification. And Pastor Troy and I have been hitting on this for years. If you scroll up a little bit faster, good sir, you'll see it's it's at the bottom there. Thank you. This is what we call the progress wheel of salvation. This is what is acceptable in most churches today. I came to church and I was zero percent saved, man. I was lost, but I said a prayer. I love Jesus, and I've been reading my Bible. I've been doing better. I'm like ten percent saved, not as bad as I used to be, but not as good as I should be. You hear that kind of nonsense? That's you know that's how they testify, right? And if I just keep fasting and praying and chuck it, chuck it, chuck it, choo choo, I can get to twenty percent. And then, oh, sister so and so, she's been in the church a long time. How saved are you? How sanctified are you, sister so-and-so? I'm 80% saved. Well, how did you get 80% saved? Oh, because second flesh, chapter 2, verse 11 teaches, God is still working on me, and one day I'll be who he wants me to be because nobody's perfect. Well, hold on. Hold on. I thought I was made perfect at the cross. Do I have to get born again, again, and again, and again? I was born first naughty by nature, born again in divine nature. Why do I have to get born again and again and again? It says I was created past tense as the workmanship of God. Is God kind of that mechanic that has a bunch of unfixed cars in his, in his, in his yard, never fixes any of them? Are you? You know what I'm talking about. Am I just God's unfixed jalopy just sitting in there and he's just tinkering away at me? Just deal with it because God's tinkering. Or am I 100% saved the day I meet Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The new is here. Write down any questions you have to that Facebook page, and I'll get to them right now. I'll stall just for a few moments as this is up here. I'll answer the first two if you have questions about this. Do we as Christians still sin? Yes, we can, but he wrote to us that we sin not. If we do, we repent and we're forgiven. Is there a difference between being perfect and acting perfect? Yes. My child was born as my child, but they are not always obedient to the perfect uh, rules that I have for them. Do you understand? When they don't follow the rule perfectly, they do not stop being my child. Now, we know that people can lose their salvation, okay? So how does a person lose salvation? By doing a bunch of bad things? No, because you didn't get salvation by doing a bunch of good things. You don't come in by good works, out by bad works. You came in by faith, Romans 11 says, and you leave by... Uh, unbelief. That's how you get caught off. That's what happens. But Hebrews tells us how we become unbelieving once we were saved, and that is sin's deceitfulness hardens the heart to the point of unbelief. That's what happened to Judas. That's what happened to Saul. Hymenius and Alexander shipwrecked their faith because their heart was hardened by sin. That's why we don't give any place to sin. Think of sin as being a pebble in your shoe. You know you're supposed to walk without pebbles in your shoe. The moment you feel it, there is a pain. There is a discomfort. If you don't take care of it, it will embed itself in and numb your foot to the point where it infects it. But if you are a healthy person, you get rid of it. I am not a dirty cup always trying to get clean. I am a clean cup not being dirty. I am not someone always trying to get pebbles out of my shoe. I'm walking in such a way not to ever get pebbles in my shoe. If I do get a dirty cup, if I get pebbles in my shoe, I repent and go back to the default position which is holiness and perfection unto my God. Now, come, somebody say, show me in the Bible. Let me just show you a few more scriptures, and then we'll get to the second part, and then i got a whole other sermon to preach. Are you guys ready to go preach on the streets? Let me just get this quick. If I'm wasting any time, let me know. But I'm going to now go to this uh, Facebook page because I want to answer the first two questions that can because I do not want people to think I'm teaching some heresy of Joseph Prince, some idea that now we don't sin, we can't backslide, that we're just God's perfect little children in that way. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying we are perfect because God has made us perfect to live holy, and we should still 
fear God if we think in, in continuance of sin that it's going to go well for us. The Bible says, do not go on willfully sinning because there is no more sacrifice for sins, Hebrews 10, 26, but only a certain expectation of judgment where God will consume you with fire. Amen. Amen. No questions here. Let's go to the next one. I want to give you these scriptures. Somebody say, give me the scriptures. I'll give you the scriptures in just a moment, but I just want to make sure you get this. Would you go up to the, uh, go up here? But let me just say this real quick. Did I just say you had to make yourself perfect? Did I just give you a bunch of laws? Because some of you are looking at me like John Wesley said you would. You would think that I'm a publican now. I am not a publican. I am not a heretic. I'm not telling you go make yourself perfect. I'm saying believe God made you to be perfect. Okay? Now just go right up here to where it says my personal belief, and I'll just read them to you quickly. And trust me, the last points are not that long. We've got to go preach. I think I can do this maybe in seven minutes. But just look up at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 11. If you could just yeah, go right back up. I just want you to hear it. And that is what some of you were, the Bible says. But you were washed. You were, you were, is there an ED at the end of that? And what does ED mean when words have ED? Past tense. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That long list says what all of us were as sinners, but you're not that anymore. The moment you were justified, I believe you were sanctified. If you want to believe like the Wesleys and the old-time holiness preachers, you've got to have the Holy Spirit do it again. Hey, that's fine. Just get sanctified. I think you'll do better by believing to, to see it as the finished work at the cross, that it is finished, literally meant sanctification, salvation, justification, redemption, regeneration, whatever Asian or thing you can think of was done there. Amen? Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, we've already read it, but listen to 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Is a sinner right now in any place of their being righteous? Romans 3 says no one is good, correct? Okay, so as we were as sinners without any righteousness, how should we be now as saints without any sin? Y'all missed it. Sinners have no righteousness, saints should have no sin. God became what I was so that I could become what he is. Not in the virgin birth. He did not become sin on the virgin birth, but he became sin at the third hour. Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabak, and I, the father turned his back on him as he became the sin offering for us. Hebrews 10.14 has the proper uh, translation. NIV will put it in the present, but the Greek is in the past tense. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are... I bet you didn't even know that was in the Bible. You are perfected at all time in Christ. If I come out of Christ as the vine and the branch, if I come out of the vine as the branch, I now will wither up and die. John 15, right? But as long as I'm abiding in Christ, perfection is abiding in me. I am partaking of the divine nature. Amen. Now let me go to the last thing here. They are have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. I just talked to you about being godly and not having a false form of godliness. Okay, this is the true form. Now somebody say power. Power. The idea of power comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many here are baptized with the Holy Spirit speaking other tongues? Amen. Let's just be honest. How many of us notice in our churches that went away? Come on. Is it any coincidence? No, it's, it's all part of the plan of the devil, isn't it? Get the people to think sin is normal. Give them pep talks so they run empty all week. Come back here, drop money in the bucket, and get that to be their, their, you know, their gerbil wheel, their merry-go-round, and then don't give them the power of God. That's, if you were the enemy, isn't that what you would do? Attack the identity of the Christian and attack their source. But what is the number one thing that Acts starts off with and continues through all the way to Acts chapter 28? The power of the Holy Spirit. What were the disciples to have day one at the birth of the church? The baptism of the Holy Spirit with an evidence that the gift was given to them speaking in other tongues. And so now what they have equated this with is they've equated the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's just being saved. You know, brother, you got it all. You got it when you got saved. And if God wants you to have those gifts, he'll just give it to you. Don't worry about it. Don't stress out about it. You know, you know the ones who always tell you that are the ones who don't have the gifts. They don't know what they're talking about. Now listen to me. The very first thing it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So if the person telling you that doesn't have spiritual gifts, say, brother, you are an ignoramus and I ask you to repent. 
Because yeah. you don't, and I say that in love. The Bible says we can use that language. Is everybody okay with that? Yeah. You are ignorant of the truth. And you have no right to tell me about this because this book is the Pentecostal handbook. This book does not belong to you to give me instructions. I'm here to get the instruction from the book and live it out. Amen? And what does it start off with in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? We don't have to turn there. But Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my conference attendees. And you will be the best book buyers out there. You will put people at the number one New York Times all the time. That's what I'm giving you the power for. And you will take cruises. And you will take trips to Israel. Is that what it says? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. It has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing to do with salvation. I don't have time to get into it. But John chapter 20, verse 22, is the end of the gospel. It's as far as the gospel goes in times lives. If you were to take the four gospels and line them up chronologically, they space each other out. John is the last moments until the book of Acts. Luke continuing into Acts. And so what Jesus does there is actually breathes on them and gives them the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of the book of John. It starts off with the Word. He was there in the beginning. All things were made by Him and through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. That life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word was made flesh, made His dwelling among us. John 1.18 then says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. The whole entire point of John chapter 1 is to say in him Jesus was alive that breathed in us. John chapter 3 says we must be born again of the Spirit. He then talks about the cross. He then demonstrates the, what the Holy Spirit will do in 14, 15, and 16. Praise for it in 17. Is crucified, resurrects, and there in 20. Breathes in you. He completes what he came to do, which was to give you regeneration. So that's why in Acts chapter 1, it's nothing to do with being born again. You're not receiving the Holy Spirit there to get saved. You're receiving it to be empowered to go to Bourbon Street and bring the gospel with signs and wonders and to set the people free in Jesus' name. I want to show you the chart here because it's good that you know this. Because probably most people aren't telling you this, okay? So you need to know, and if you could click on it, good sir, thank you. Can we give it up for our brother in the back? Thank you. I know it's tough keeping up with the Italian stallion preacher here. The chart is there. You go and research it. What is the consistent pattern when the Holy Spirit comes? They speak in tongues. The Baptists and the Oneness Pentecostals are both wrong for the same exact reason. They both believe that the times of description in the book of Acts of the Holy Spirit is for salvation. So every time the Baptist sees they get the Holy Spirit, they call that the uh, Jerusalem Pentecost. And then when it goes to Samaria, it's the Samaritan Pentecost. These guys are just getting regenerated. Then when it goes into Cornelius' house, this is the Roman Pentecost. Then it, That's how they see it. Well, that's exactly how the oneness Pentecostals see it. And if you're going to take that thinking as a Baptist, then oneness Pentecostals are right, and therefore every time you get saved, you have to speak in tongues, and if you haven't spoken in tongues, you're not saved. Do you understand how the oneness Pentecostal thinks? They have the same wrong mentality as the Baptist because they're equating the work of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with salvation. They're both wrong on that account. The Holy Spirit being given with the evidence of the Holy uh, the speaking in tongues is never for salvation. It's a secondary work. Disciples, take the first one here. In Acts chapter 2, were they already saved? Were they already regenerated, receiving the Holy Spirit? Yes, Acts chapter 20, verse 6. So when it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them, does it say now they started budding the fruit of the Spirit? Or does it say they spoke in tongues? You get the fruit at the rebirth, you get the signs at the baptism. Come on, somebody. The same thing at Cornelius' house. They started praising God in the salvation they had received, and then they start speaking in tongues. Same thing with Samaria. They get saved, water baptized. The apostles come down, lay hands on them, they speak in tongues. Do you baptize somebody that's not regenerated? No, so we combat the error that the oneness Pentecostal and the Baptist say the same exact way. The oneness Pentecostal says they weren't saved until the apostles laid hands on them. The Baptists say they didn't have the Holy Spirit until the apostles laid hands on them. Well, are you guys still doing that today? Of course not. So they say it changed with the apostles. Only the apostles could hand out salvation, Holy Spirit gifts. That's foolishness. It was never for salvation. It was for the power of God. It was for the power of God. So how does it work? If we could come out of that chart, please. Very simply.
This is how it works. It works by you being born of the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit. Thank you. So you can just pause there. Thank you. So we come to Christ. We confess our sins. We're born again in our nature, made sanctified, pure, and holy, set on the path of holiness before our God. And then we ask God for the work of the Holy Spirit to initiate in us the confidence, the boldness, the signs and wonders in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 to work in us and through us, first and primarily for the gospel to be preached, and then second, to encourage and edify the church. So when you have a prophecy like a Sister Holly did, and we can have the band come, please, as Sister Holly did, that's amazing. That edifies the church. But we should also take it out there because it's primarily for the lost and then secondarily for us here. Because if we there, we weren't doing what Jesus commanded in Acts 1-8 to be a witness. Can I hear amen? amen? Now the second half of my message, I only have two I think we need to go along. It's time to preach. But I really just wanted to build that with you. Brother, would you bring it to the godly I just want to end with these scriptures. I hope you go back and study these things. Because I know like you, I come to these outreaches to be so encouraged. But I also want to leave with substance. I hope giving you substance, okay? And, uh, you know, I get a little sassy, but if you are a part of a church that's not understanding this, have your pastor talk with me, pray for them. Let's be kind and considerate, because I don't want every uh, person who learns something in my church being sassy with me. But I do believe we should call out ignorance where we see it. So if someone is telling you the gifts of the Spirit are not for you, that's ignorance. I'm sorry, my friend, that's, that is ignorance. We will pray for them. But I will help them. Troy will help them. He'll, he'll have another outreach next week. Pastor Troy has outreaches every single day. Just tell them to come. Amen? Are you, can I hear an amen? amen? Okay, but now about this. If you have a good church that's doing these things, now it's time for us to put our faith in action, right? So I said all of this, not for us just to be like, oh, we're so much better than Stephen Furtick. Oh, man, look at them. Look at Joel Osteen. They're all going to hell, you know, whatever. No, oh, look at our, this, this whole world is back. So no, 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 no. I spend very little time, and I know Pastor Troy does this as well, very little time focusing on what's going wrong. Only time I have to focus on is when I'm correcting something. That's either for the body or individually. But what I want to focus on is what is, what is right. And so here's what we do. Because we don't want to have a form of godliness and deny the power. Right? We want to have true holiness with the power of God. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So let me just encourage all of you. The understanding of who Christ made you to be, holy as he is holy, perfect as he is holy, is for righteousness, to live right. Isn't it fun not being drunk? It's, it's fun being clean. It's great to be checked into life. Isn't it great not being obese? I had to learn to that lesson. I lost 80 pounds. Isn't it great teaching the children the way of God? Isn't it great giving your tithes and offerings to a good church? See, this is the right kind of living. You had a God-shaped hole. He's filled it. Amen. Now live for Jesus with peace and joy. The message of holiness is, is not Jimmy Swagger shouting at you. Some of you remember this. You can't wear gym shorts or you're going to hell. That's not the message of holiness. The message of holiness is being like Jesus. For as he was, so am I in this world, the first John says in that letter. I'm not equal to deity, but deity has been shared with me in righteousness. He became what I was that I might become what I what he he became what I was that I might become what he is. Another scripture that the Bible says is that he was the first begotten among many brothers. Among many brothers that we would be predestined to be conformed to his image. Jesus in his, in his righteousness, everybody look up at me please. Jesus in his righteousness is not the one off of heaven. He is the prototype of all humanity. The book of Ephesians talks about in Christ, in Christ, in him, in him. We're all brought to holiness in him he's the prototype he's the new stamp adam was once the stamp and we were born into it now we're stamped with the nature of christ it should come natural to keep the commands of god as you seek him he will be found amen and then powerful somebody say powerful, powerful. paul said in first corinthians 4 20 for the kingdom of god it's not a matter of talk but of power we need these testimonies we have to see them god do it again God, do it again. The Pentecostals were not powerful in the 1900s because of what they were wearing. 
They were not powerful because of the hymns they were singing. They were not seeing nations changed because of all the quote-unquote things they did and didn't do. They didn't, you know, read books, play cards, or chew, or hang with those who do. No, no, no. They were powerful because they were tapped into the power of God. And so cultures may change, but the power stays the same. I've seen gangbangers with tattoos all over their face, speak in tongues as if they were in a, a 1900s Holy Romans uh, uh, a barn Pentecostal revival service. And they never knew anything about it. Are you listening? I've heard testimonies like this, brother, from the day I was saved when I told one to myself about how I got off drugs at my mother's kitchen table and started speaking in tongues at the couch. Because that became normal. I want you to understand this, my brothers and sisters. Here's the encouragement for you now. All who believe the gospel and obey God's word are transformed into a new kind of humanity that is both godly and powerful. There is no people on the planet like God's people. They walk in the holiness of their God. They are not like the world. They do not do what the world does. They are like the bright and morning sun that shines brighter and brighter to the new day. They walk the path of holiness and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is for God. They walk into situations with the power of God, knowing that the one who calls forth things that were not to be is the same one that can bring power into the darkness of this world, the darkness of Bourbon Street, the darkness of the transsexual community. Light comes through the power of God, and it transforms lives. Hallelujah! Would you give it up for Jesus if you know already? Hallelujah! Use us, Jesus! Use us, God! Yes, Lord! We are your people! convict us when we sin and miss that mark when we're disobedient to not preach as we should train our children love our wives and family as we should because I will stand on that rock I will believe and hold to his word and whoever believes and holds to his word shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free amen God bless you